Thank you, worship team. That was awesome today. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Grace Life. My name is Michelle, and um, whether you're here in person or joining us via the live stream, we're so happy to have you today. Um, if today's your first time visiting Grace Life, we'd love to connect with you um, and answer any questions you might have. We invite you to stop by the Connect Center in the lobby. It's located in the lobby, and a member of the church will be there ready to, to meet you. If you see the QR code on the screen and you take, bring your camera up and take a picture of that or just put your camera on it, it'll take you to the church website and there you can learn more about our upcoming gatherings. You can access resources like today's scripture passage and previous sermons and also our community group information. Um, and you can make a donation. So we don't pass an offering plate here at Grace Life. Our members give online or by dropping something in the, um, the little donation, the offering box that's located in the lobby. It's right outside the auditorium doors there. Um, so we have an official Grace Life welcome, which invites everybody, everyone to come. And you can listen and let the words wash over you, or you can say these words with me. So let's say them now. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So, welcome. Um, and now I will go ahead and on to our scripture passage for today, which is Psalm 130, and it's a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Good morning, Grace Life Church. And those of you watching from home, good morning and welcome. You can leave your Bible open to Psalm 130. Yes, we are still in a series on Romans, but just as the pastor of the church, every now and then the Lord redirects, even though I plan to preach on a, on a topic, sometimes God redirects based on hospital visits and phone calls and just ascertaining a lot of our people are suffering and then the throes of, of uh, just distress. So this is where I landed this morning, I wanted to, to preach from this psalm out of the depths, so 
Would you join me in prayer and then we'll jump in together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and your love. Thank you for this privilege we have to gather together, to unite, to to open up a copy of your word and not fear that the government is going to rush in and persecute us, at least not yet in our nation. There are many nations where that's happening this this very moment, Lord. The, The persecuted church is very much a reality in the world and it's easy to be out of sight, out of mind. I know they're very dear and near to your heart, so we pray for the persecuted church. Give them strength. Give them perseverance. Show mercy to them, Lord. Show them favor to the authorities that they serve under nationally, and help us to, to have a, a grateful heart for the comforts and the privileges of, of uh, worshiping in a first world. Uh, I pray, Lord, we would, we would not forget your mercies to us, and I pray that today something of your power will be experienced and felt, and that we would just experience transforming grace, Lord. I have no power. My words have no power, Lord, but your words are life. As Jesus prayed in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Only your truth can sanctify us, Lord. So help us to be open to that. Remove any hurdles or hindrances or distractions, anything that would encumber or trip us up today. Help us to focus our minds for the next few moments on the words of this psalm, Lord, and let it, as Michelle said, just wash over us today. We pray for for those who are sick amongst us, Lord. There are some sicknesses floating around. We pray for them, many of them watching from home, some who are traveling, some are just facing affliction uh, of a different kind and agony and anguish and distress, and I pray, Lord, this message would be an encouragement and a help to them the way it has been to me in preparation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. David Laveau was driving home by himself on a lonely stretch of highway in the California mountains. Around 7 p.m., the headlights of an oncoming car temporarily blinded him. You ever been there? Person didn't dim their lights. You didn't have time to flash your brights to, anyway, maybe you're not into that. He slammed on the brakes, but his car flipped and plunged 200 feet down an embankment, crashing at the bottom. He was severely injured. He suffered multiple fractures and trauma. You can imagine flipping over and over in your car like that. Well, at the bottom, after managing to crawl out of his car, David made a gruesome discovery. A second car, wrecked, lay nearby, covered in a layer of dust. And his heart stopped as he peered inside, and he saw a badly decomposing body And then reality hit him. He is stuck down here. This is his coffin. This is his tomb. It's a death sentence. Nobody can see him. Nobody can hear him. Nobody will find him. He's a dead man. He'll never get out of there. That was what he was thinking. Well, he was weak from his injuries, and he lay at the bottom of that ravine for days, screaming for help until he lost his voice and was out of strength. During the crash, his cell phone was the first thing that that he lost. He had his window down. It flew out of the window. Well, the worst thing about it is that David could hear the cars above him whizzing by, and he could see their headlights, but he was hundreds of feet below, out of hearing range, out of sight, and he was trapped. So he held on for days. His story is just so interesting to me. I, I love survivor stories. He ate black ants 
He ate bumblebees, there was a nest nearby, and he drank dirty creek water and ate wet leaves to survive and keep his body hydrated. But by the fifth night, David, a father of six, kind of resonated with me, he wrote these words in the dust on the top of that car that lay nearby. This is what he wrote. I love you kids. Dead man was not my fault. <laughs> love that. What a message, huh? He was still thinking, I didn't do it. It, was, it wasn't me. Laveau, in his testimony, he said that then he laid down, he closed his eyes, and he prayed, God, I can't go anymore. This is it. Help. What he did not know was that his children had contacted a detective who had traced his cell phone pings to a tower nearby in a section of the L.A. National Forest, and that they had been pouring back and forth on that busy highway, calling his name, looking for him, and at that very moment, they were above him. They had gotten out of their car and stopped to peer over the cliff edge and were yelling his name because he had been missing for six days at this point. His daughter, Lisa, recalls, my brother got out of the car. We thought we heard something. We all shushed and listened, and sure enough, we heard Dad's weak voice crying out, help, help. We looked over, and there he was. Sean heard his father's voice, and he began the long climb down to get his dad. Can you imagine that, climbing 200 feet down a cliff to get your dad? What would you, what would you do to rescue somebody that you love, right? He remembers the moment they embraced. He smelled so bad. <laughs> but I still held him, and we both cried and cried. David Laveau made a full but long recovery. But the other man who never made it out of his car, obviously, he died alone at the bottom of that embankment. He had been there for 10 days. So crying out for help from the bottom of a 200-foot ravine saved David's life. Now, that story is instructive and it's moving. What do you do when you're at the very bottom? Maybe even when the bottom falls out. What do you do? Well, this psalmist shows us. He goes from misery to confession to hope and then to assurance. So I cut that just down to three. Here's our outline today, and then we'll be on our way, okay? As you can see, this is a first Sunday. We have communion, Lord's Supper at the end of the service. So you're going to have to remind me, if I forget, or remind yourself, if you have children in the back who have professed faith in Christ and they're Christians, when we close out the preaching ser uh, portion of the service, you can go back. If you want them to join you as a family and take communion, you can go back and get them together. So here we go, point one. What do you do when you're at the bottom? Point one is you cry out. You cry out. Look at verse one together. A song of ascents, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. For mercy. Out of the depths I cry to you. The Hebrew word for depths there is, is used for a man who is caught in a deep pit or an abyss. And it's in da dangerous waters involved. He is floundering. Or she is floundering. There's terror. There's fear. There's confusion. Psalm 69 uses that same word for depths. It's used several times in the Old Testament. But Psalm 69 is a little less ambiguous. It puts clothes on what that means. Listen to this, Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 
I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Now, I love Psalm 130. One of the reasons I do is because the author of this psalm does not specify what was it that, what's going on? What are the depths? What are you sinking in? What happened? Don't you want, are you like me? I'm curious. I love a good story. I love a good movie. I don't like ambiguity. I want to know what is he suffering from? What happened to this guy? We don't know. We don't know. This is, I don't say this very often about the Bible because the Bible has what the Puritans called perspicuity. It's clear, but there is some, some ambiguity here, and it's a good kind of ambiguity. We don't know his particular struggle. Is, it's hinted at a little bit later that it's his fault that he's there because he talks about iniquity. We'll get to that next point. But I like this psalm because if he told you what he was going through, then you would, and, and you're not going through that, but you feel like you're in distress, you would write this psalm off and say, well, it has nothing to offer me. No, this, this psalm of suffering and anguish and agony, it's like a sock. One size fits all. We don't know what his depth was, but hey, how many of you have been in the depths before and cried out to God? This is a psalm of encouragement to you. This is a, a lubrication for your, for your vocal cords to say, what do you do? What's step one? Cry out. Don't keep silent. You know what kills so many people, my friends? Silence. They never cry out. I read once about something called the deadly killer. One of the deadliest killers in America. Do you know what it is? Choking death. And do you know why? Typically people that are dying and they're suffocating, they're asphyxiating, they swallow food, it's lodged in their larynx. Do you know why they die? Because they refuse to do anything about it. Because they're embarrassed. They're ashamed. It's really humiliating to be choking. If you're in, a, you're in polite company, you're at a nice restaurant, fancy, four, three-star, <laughs> four-star maybe once a decade, okay, and you swallow an undigested piece of chicken, and it's caught in your throat, and you look around, there's violin music playing in the background, everyone's dressed up, and you're thinking, oh my word, how embarrassing, how humiliating. And so you say, I'll take care of this. You try to swallow, oh, that, that was a mistake, you should have coughed. Now it's really down there stuck. Now you can't breathe, and you're really embarrassed. You know what the, the next step that people usually take is? They get up quietly, and they give a hand motion, I'll be back, and they go to the bathroom, and they put themselves together. And it's a one-way trip. They come out in a body bag. So listen, if you're choking, you know what the distress, by the way, this is free for Grace Life. You never know what you're going to get in a sermon. Here's the universal distress symbol for choking. Use it. Your pastor may have saved your life, right? <laughs> cry out when you're sinking in the pit. Cry out. That's step one. Cry out to God. He's stuck. He's sinking. He's alone. He's exhausted. All of those ideas, and he, I love the Hebrew language, all those ideas can be expressed in one word that the Hebrews wrote. And that's what that word or that phrase, out of the depths, means. There's an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. I'm probably saying his name wrong, Bill. You can correct me later. But uh, he, he put together this kind of a categorization of the book of Psalms for a better understanding and personal application. He said that there are basically three types of Psalms that every one of us can find ourselves in, okay? The first is, is it's basically one of three places that you'll find yourself in in a book of Psalms. One is a place of orientation. That's when everything is stable. God's felt presence assures you and, and secures you. You feel anchored. You feel hopeful. The world that you live in is well-ordered. It's predictable. 
Everything's going well for you. Here's one of those Psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Praise God for Psalms of orientation. I don't find that a lot of the time I'm in those Psalms, <laughs> right? Here's the second Psalm, second type of Psalm. It's, it's a Psalm of new or reorientation. That means that we've been in the pit, God's delivered us, He's rescued us, and we being taken out of the miry pit, we have a new place of awareness and gratitude and thanksgiving. And so it's a psalm of praise and awareness. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever, right? That's reorientation. In the middle, in the middle is these psalms of disorientation. That's where the world is, is unpredictable and you're frustrated and you're confused and you're disoriented, you're, you're off balance, something's off kilter, and you feel like you're sinking, you're sinking. There's regret, there's sadness, there's confusion, there's chaos, there's fear. Psalm 130 is that last, it's that last type, out of the depths. So this is a song, and by the way, this is a song. Did you read that? You know, the, the, the subheadings, the subtitles for Psalms, they're inspired. Psalm 130 is Psalm of Ascents, that means that this was a song that was saying. So this apparently resonated with all the community of Israel. They would go up annually to worship in Jerusalem and they would sing. This would be one of the songs they would sing as they, as they went up together. It was put to music. You won't find this psalm probably on social media or framed. You know, this is not like hashtag too blessed to be stressed. No, this is life happens, right? Life happens I'm sinking, I'm alone, I'm frustrated, I see no means of escape, I am undone, help me, I'm in my coffin. He's talking about in this psalm, feeling alienated from God. Has anybody ever felt that way as a Christian? You feel that way, it's not a reality, we've been through this in Romans 8 and 9, right, and 10. We're as secured as we, you can't get any more into the heart, you can't get any closer to the heart of God than you already are in Christ. But our experience, our feelings, doesn't always match that reality. That's what sanctification is, becoming what you are, living up to the, the declaration God has spoken over you. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We don't always feel like that. We don't always, we don't always feel close to our father. We feel like we're in a miry pit and we're in the depths, and we're crying out, and we're disoriented, and maybe we're angry. I got to be honest, man. Some of my favorite psalms are the, dis, are the disoriented psalms where there is like brutal honesty from the psalmist, and he's almost accusing God. And you're like, man, how can you talk to God that way? Apparently, you can because God inspired those prayers. God says, it's okay to talk to me like this. I know. I was a human too. I mean, the... The Trinity, the incarnation, right? Only God of the Christian Bible became a human being and bled and suffered and, and wept and died, right? He understands. He knows. God frames these prayers. We think they're ugly, like, oh, goodness, you can't talk to God that way. I beg to differ. You can. This is like I've mentioned this before. If you have a kid that's in art class and maybe they're not the next uh, Rembrandt, okay? And they bring home some art and say, look, Daddy, look what I did. You're like... You look at it and you go, ugh, that's hideous. You don't say that. You think it, right? 
But that's your child. What do you do? You throw it away, you wad it up, and you say, that's disgusting. <laughs> Picasso said every kid's an artist. He was a liar. No, you don't say that. What do you do? You frame it on the refrigerator. That's what you do. Why? Because that's beautiful to you. That's your child, and that's the best they had. They were, they were giving you what they had. That's what God did to these prayers. There are some psalms that would probably shock you, depending on your upbringing in Christianity. Psalm 88. It's a psalm of disorientation, and it's one of the only psalms that doesn't have a resolution at the end. The very last word in Psalm 88 in Hebrew is darkness. The psalmist basically says, leave me alone, God. Darkness is a better friend than you, and the psalm's over. And God left that in the Bible. Why? Because sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Have you ever felt that way? And you try to hide it? <laughs> we, ha we are experts at hiding as Christians. You may get tired of me saying it, but I'm not going to get tired of preaching it. I want this to be a church where you know when somebody says, hey, how are you doing? That you feel the freedom and the, liber the liberating freedom to not have to answer, I'm fine. When you're not fine. It's ultimately more importantly for you to be that honest with God. Honesty is, is, is a great word to sum up what God wants from his children. He wants us to be honest. And if you're not fine, tell him. He already knows you're not going to surprise him. Saying, God, everything's fine and your, your arms are, you know, falling off. God's not going to say, ah, I'm so surprised. He knows already. He sees you. Like a father sees a distressed child and wants them to cry out to him or to their mother for help. Cry out. He's talking about his feeling alienated from God, his fear, his helplessness, his distress. Every time this word depths is used in the Bible, it's connected to the ocean. Now listen, we love the ocean. We're Floridians. We drink it up. There's lifeguards, towers. We, it's been mapped. We can Google map. We can even check the, the status of the, uh, oh, what are those dangerous waves called? The currents. Hebrews, not so much. They were scared to death of the ocean. That's why every time the word ocean or sea is used in the Old Testament, it's a place of terror. It's a place that's unexplored. It's a place that's frightening to them. That's why when Jesus was describing the most terrorizing way to die, you remember what he said? Woe to you if you offend one of these little ones. It would be better for you to what? To have a millstone tied around your neck and dropped into the depths. That's what he says. So this person is not only frustrated and sad, they're afraid, they're terrorized. They're terrorized. They're sinking in the ocean. Have you been there? As a Christian, have you been there? You know, maybe preventative medicine is the best kind. Maybe this psalm is not for you today, but will you, will you do something for, for this pastor? Will you file this away for another day? Because you're going to need it one day. One of these days, this psalm is going to resonate with you deeply. You're going, to, you're going to feel an affinity with this psalmist. We don't even know who wrote this. We don't know who the author is. But man, can we identify with his struggle. He is sinking in the depths. He is stuck with no way out. He can't climb. It's as if, if you're looking for an image, it's like you're stuck in a 100... Or I guess I already gave you one in the introduction. But you're stuck in a 100-foot sheer-faced... Uh, pit, and there's grease and mud on the sides, and you can't get out. That's, that's what the image is here. When you're underwater, the weight just seems so heavy, doesn't it? You know, I'm, I'm a proud man. I love swimming. I love the ocean. 
And there's so many things I want to do. Uh, my wife's side of the family, they are incredible. It's like they have gills. My, my father-in-law can hold his breath underwater for like five minutes. My wife is just like him. And I, and I can't stand that because I, I can't. I don't know why. I'm, I'm in decent shape. I just can't hold my breath that long. But the worst thing, the worst thing to me is I can't depressurize. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go to uh, Blue Springs. You know, there's, there's like the... The tubes down there that you can go down and explore, and I, they're 30 feet down. I can't, I can't get there. I can't get there. It feels like my head's going to explode, and I hate that. My wife's down there swimming around, waving. My father-in-law's down there for five minutes. We all think he's drowned. I can't do it. You know why? I can't depressurize. I can't do it. I've watched YouTube video. If you know, if you know a way, help me after this, okay? I've tried, I'm 48. I still can't do it. But there's a reason why. You know why? We're not really meant to live down under that kind of pressure for very long. Even if you can depressurize, you better not stay too deep for too long because you can get, what is it, pulmonary edema. You, it can mess you up. It can kill you. We're not, human beings don't have gills. We're not fish. God knows that. We can't stay down there that long, and God doesn't intend for us to. He wants us to cry out to Him for help. Cry out to Him. You need the fresh Oxygen of God's grace. So that's point one, is cry out. Here's point number two, fess up. Cry out, and I mentioned to you, stay honest, fess up. Look at this. Look what he says next. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Verse three, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Oh, okay. Now we're getting a, a hint as to what's going on here. For whatever reason, again, there's ambiguity here. This person feels like he's alienated from God. He's cut off. He's sinking in despair. There's no hope. And here's the worst part about being in a pit. It's when you believe it's your fault that you're there. He did something or he didn't do something, and he got himself buried and in trouble, and he's sinking. And now he confesses that to God. He says, I'm calling out to you, and man, this is so important. He says, I'm calling out to you <clears throat> because I know that you are a God who forgives. I think one of the reasons we don't cry out to God more than we do is because we have forgotten the core, the core truth and reality of Christianity is that God is a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. He is so full of mercy. He is so rich with compassion. You know, when God revealed himself as Yahweh, that covenant-keeping personal name in Exodus 34, do you remember? I think Matt talked about this in a sermon a few weeks back. God's first official revelation to his people whom he rescued out of Egypt. They're in the middle of the wilderness. He comes down Mount Sinai, meets with Moses. Moses begs him, let me see your glory. He says, you want to know my glory? You want to know what's so heavy and weighty? And overwhelming about me, here it is, Moses, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and forgiving, steadfast love, passing over the iniquity of thousands. That's the first truth and reality about Yahweh that he wanted to communicate to his people. I hear so many people say, yeah, the God of the Old Testament, he's this, he's an ogre, he's unappeasable, he's, and I'm thinking, man, you are reading a different... It's that old saying, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in that God either, right? You've got a distorted image of who God is as he's revealed himself. It's one thing if you just think that. It's another if God's already told you. That's not true. Sure, God's a God of justice. Sure, he's a God of wrath. 
He's also a God of mercy and grace, and He forgives those who call out to Him. Spurgeon once said, deep places beget deep devotion. What does he mean? He means that when you're in a dungeon, when you're in the depths, man, you really start to rethink your life at a deeper level, don't you? It's like, you know what? Life as I envision it and as, I've li- as I'm living it, it's not working out for me. It's time to confess to God. God, meet me in my deepest, darkest need. I need your help. I've told you this story before, so forgive me. Um, when I was 21, I got arrested for the first and last time, thankfully, okay, long time ago. That was in my BC days. It was 3 a.m. I was humiliated. I was afraid. I was alone. And I called my father at 3 a.m. That's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Dad, he's watching the sermon. I thank God for you. You know why I called my dad? Two reasons. One, I didn't have anybody else to call. None of my friends would have got me from jail at 3 a.m. And two, I knew my dad would come and get me. And you know what? He did. He did. I called out to my dad because I knew my dad. I knew he was forgiving. I knew he was gracious. And I knew he wouldn't come to me with a list of, you know what? I should leave you in here all night. And then maybe in the morning, you'll be singing a different tune. He didn't say that. There wasn't a negotiation. We didn't bargain or argue on the way home. In fact, you know, your your memory gets blurred. And I wasn't in the best mental condition when I called him. But what I do remember is this. It was 3 a.m. My dad had already been off a, a night shift working at a factory. And he would have been just settled in and in deep REM sleep. And I remember back then we didn't have cell phones. There was a phone in our den hanging on the wall with one of those 900-foot cords, you know. And I remember the phone rang one time and my dad picked it up immediately. He had to be in the middle of REM sleep and yet he was up, out, through the house and he grabbed that phone. And he said, hello. And I said, dad, it's me. And I said, I'm I'm in jail will you come and get me? And he said, I'm on my way, son. Hang tight. One of the reasons we don't cry out to God is because we've forgotten what kind of God he is. That is so important. You know, Martin Luther said this once. He said, my temptation is this, that I think I don't have a gracious God. The man who started the Protestant Reformation, that was a truth that revolutionized his thinking when he came to Romans chapter 1. We've already, already told you that story. God's righteousness is offered as a free gift to those who ask for it, right? Do you believe that you have a gracious God? If you don't, you know what's going to happen when you're sinking in a pit? You're going to keep silent and you're going to sink all the way down to a tragic end spiritually. He was in the depths. In that passage, this psalmist uses a Hebrew word for sin that's really painful, iniquity. It means to be twisted, to be bent. There's, there's three words, theology hat time, there's three words for sin in the Bible, I'm oversimplification. Transgression, it means a stain, a blot. Psalm 51, blot out my transgression, right? You're polluted, you're stained, and God atones, He, covers, he washes out our, our stain. The other one is just the word sin, uh, and it means to miss the mark, inaccurate, wrong. The third one is iniquity, and it means to be twisted and bent, to be like perverted, to be bent out of shape. It means you can't be used, you're broken, you're bent. You're ready to be discarded, right, and thrown away. But what does God do? He comes and and He rescues a person who is iniquity. It's It's a real painful word. It means that sin has twisted us, it's distorted us, we're not... 
We're not what we were intended to be. We can't straighten ourselves out. Sin has broken us. This man knows that and he feels that. I remember when, when I was in ninth grade, there was a running back. His name was Dustin Beasley. He was one of those guys who develops faster than anybody else. He had a beard in seventh grade. We had a race. He outran our PE teacher. He was breaking records, man, in track like as, uh, before. Yeah, it was just, he was just, in a, we knew this guy will go all the way to NFL. And I remember a, a, a game on Friday night in ninth grade. Dustin Beasley did a sweep left, and there was this enormous linebacker on the other team, and he just ran over and like swallowed Dustin, and there was this loud snap. I can close my eyes right now, and I can hear the snap. I can see his femur bent like 90 degrees the wrong way, and I can hear his moan and his agonizing scream. His leg was bent and twisted the wrong way. It was like a disgusting sight. That's the word. That's the image that this word conjures up. You're broken, you're twisted, you're bent. You can't be used. There's only one person who can hear you and get you out of this pit. It's God. And the first thing that needs to come out of your mouth is this. Lord, help me. I'm sinking. I can't help myself. It's my fault. I put myself in here. I can't get myself out. I think pride and shame and fear and guilt so often keep us from crying out to God. And I can't reiterate it enough, friends. Your view of God will determine how quickly you cry out for rescue. Do you remember the parable Jesus told in Matthew 25? There was a, an owner of land and he, and he gave, there was a rich, wealthy owner and he, and he gave talents to some of his workers and he went away into a far country and he told them, hey, make a profit. And he came back and all three of them have a different story. The first one says, hey... I made, I made a profit, here's 10 more talents. And he says, well done, well done. Second one said, hey, I made a little bit of profit. I made a little, well done. The third one says, hey, look, I was afraid of you for I knew that you were an austere man, that you were hard, that you were punitive. And I was scared to do anything, so I buried my talent. And you remember what he said? He said, you wicked servant. If you thought that about me, then you should have at least invested that talent in a bank and collected interest and given it back to me. Now listen, here's the point of that parable. Jesus was telling it to people who didn't understand what kind of a father they had. Here's the point of that parable. That man's view of his master determined what he would do or wouldn't do. If you're scared, you freeze up, you won't do anything, right? The word for hard in that parable is sclerose. We get sclerosis from it. He said, you are a sclerosis master. You're hard. So I was scared. Is that what you think about God? That he's a father who's hard and rigid and austere. And if you're in trouble, call your mom, call your dad, call your brother, call your uncle. Don't, don't call God. He ain't having it. You got the wrong view of God. God is so gracious. He should be the first one that we call out to for rescue. You don't have to wait until you're eating bumblebees and drinking creek water and eating black ants. You can call out to God the second that your car hits the bottom. And listen, he'll answer it first ring. He was waiting beside it. He already knew what happened. He already saw you. There's not even a verb in the sentence in Hebrew. It just literally reads, with you, forgiveness. That like intensifies the truth in that passage. With you, what do you think of it? If, I were to, if we were to play Bible trivia or Christianity trivia, and, and I were to say, hey, think of God. 
with you is blank, what would you say? Would you say power? <laughs> that's true. That's, that's right. Or majesty or transcendence or sovereignty. Hey, I've preached those attributes. They're important. They're all over the Bible. But the first thing that this psalmist thinks of when he eventually, his mouth gets opened up, he says, with you is forgiveness. And he goes on, he says two more things. Check this out. Look down in this psalm. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. That's hesed. That's the Old Testament word for gospel, for love, for, for good news. Unconditional love. And with him is plentiful redemption. Don't you love that in the Old Testament, how it corrects our warped views of God? You can call out to God because with God there is forgiveness, steadfast love, plentiful redemption. That's a song that Israel, taking, taking God at his word, sang over and over to remind themselves. Songs are powerful, man. We can remember, Cliff and I joke all the time at some of our favorite old school songs because we remember the lyrics. Remember the lyrics of this song. With you, there is forgiveness. With you, there is steadfast love. With you, there is plentiful redemption. You can call out to God when you're sinking in the pit, when your head, when you're about to go under for the third and final time. Will you please remember there's forgiveness with God? He sees you, He understands, He knows. He's been up there peering over the edge of that cliff all along. And listen, knowing, knowing that God forgives is, is halfway there. Believing that he wants to, that's the miracle. Psalm 86 is one of my favorite psalms. It says, for you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive, man. He's eager to forgive. He's not reluctant. You're not annoying him. He's not distracted by you or put off. 1 John 1.9, I think I have that in up here. Can you put that up there? 1 John 1.9, here we go. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the New Testament version, right? If, and, and you know the if-then statements in the New Testament in Greek, this could, this could be translated uh, since we sin, you know, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. That's what we need. We need to be atoned for. We need to be cleansed. We need to be purged. Walter Percy once wrote, we love those who know the worst about us and don't turn their faces away. Right? We're not going to rush into the presence of a God who we believe is holding an account ledger. We're not going to do that. We don't rush into the arms of judgmental people, and we're not going to rush into the arms of a God that we don't believe is gracious. That's not going to inspire worship or cultivate repentance. You know, one of the paradoxes of this psalm, we don't have time to jump into it too much today, but verse 4, with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. You're like, what? What? <laughs> so wait, let me get this straight. The psalmist is saying, I know you forgive, therefore I fear you. Does that, does that compute with you? I fear God. Why? Because he forgives. 
That, that shows you that a, a lot of people misunderstand this whole idea of fearing the Lord in the Bible. That word fear, Spurgeon translated it this way, worship, serve, and obey. We go back to that warped understanding of who God our Father is. The psalmist is saying, I know you forgive. I know you have steadfast love. I know you are a God who is ready and eager to redeem. Therefore, I fear you. He, he means I'm overwhelmed. I worship you. I want to serve you. See, sign me up to serve a God like that. I'll serve a God like that my entire life. I'll leverage my life and crawl over the face of the globe to make known a God like that. One man who's a, who's a Hebrew scholar translates verse 4 with a paraphrase like this. He says, as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. Do you believe that about God? I know I'm a broken record today, guys. That's, I just got one message today. Is the God you worship the God that, that fits into Psalm 130? Do you believe that forgiveness is God's habit or that he gives it begrudgingly? He's stingy. He's tight-fisted with mercy. Not at all. Forgiveness is his habit. I know we're all shaped by our upbringing. Maybe we were raised in a more strict and legalistic kind of church setting. I meet people all the time at this church that are struggling still to come out of that fog of legalism. Psalms like this help. Those views we have of God sometimes are dangerously way off center. God delights to give forgiveness. He's not holding out. We are. <laughs> We're holding out. And listen, when you believe that, when that becomes central for you, you'll want to celebrate it. You'll want to shout it from the mountaintops. You'll want to tell it to others. You'll want to put it on a billboard. Every year, about once a year now, we drive to Arkansas to see my family. And right about the time we get to the Georgia state line, we encounter all these billboards that have been sponsored by a local church somewhere. Now, look, I don't get very, I try to not be critical in the pulpit. So you'll forgive me if I get critical for just a minute. I don't know who chose the quotes or the adapted scriptures that some of those billboards have. The only way that I can describe them is like a snarky rendition of the Ten Commandments. So these are billboards that are representing God to millions of people on I-75. Some of them, it's 2023, some of them have never set foot in a church, some of them don't have a Bible, some of them don't have a close Christian friend. So maybe the one and only drive-by version of God they, they're going to get is this billboard on I-75. I mean, I'm excited there's some scripture on the side of the highway, but man, it's just not the scripture that I would put. Some of the, some of the things, here's some of the, some of the things. Real Christians obey Jesus' teachings. I mean, there's like this two-second drive-by. Lust drags you down to hell. Go to church or the devil will get you. That love thy neighbor thing, I meant that. Signed, God. Uh, the one I dislike the most says, don't make me come down there, God. The reason I don't like that one is because we already did make him come down here. And when he came down here, he didn't judge us. Did he? I mean, when you think about that, Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's midday. It's noon. The, the time when the sun is the, dark, is the brightest in the Middle East and the Bible says that darkness fell over the land. Why? Have you ever wondered that? Why? Was there an eclipse? No. It was Passover. There, there couldn't be an eclipse. It's, it's impossible scientifically or geo-whatever, geo geologically or somebody help me out. Cosmologically, I don't know what the word is. It was impossible. 
People try to find ways, man, to, <laughs> to make the... To, to explain away the supernatural. No, do you know why? Because God was about to come down in judgment and judge his son. His son who was hanging there as a substitute. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. And it's almost as if God cloaked the whole land of darkness because nobody could see this sight but him. So we already made God come down there and he punished his son instead of us. So I don't like that billboard. I'm sorry. Maybe a better billboard to put up would be this. With me, there is forgiveness. Sign God. Man, I can tell you with six kids in a minivan, and we're on hour 12 about when I hit those signs, I could use that billboard. <laughs> could you? <laughs> I'm ready to forgive God. Let's talk God. I mean, that one could be mistaken. I don't know. Let's talk. You get that text? I don't like that text. Do you? Anyway. <laughs> Man, your pastor's messed up. You know that? Ah, oh, thank you, man. I know I'm unlovable sometimes. Okay, point three. Don't worry, this is a real quick one, okay? There, listen, guys, we could, we could talk about this psalm for 10 hours. We're not going to. There's so much rich truth here. Here's the, here's the third truth. You're going to have to help me, guys. My, my thing's completely messing up. I don't know what's going on up here. I'll try one more time. You guys are always so, oh, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> what an appropriate point. Wait around. Yeah, check this out. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, verse 5, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord, again, there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his, his iniquities. Look, this is not a hope so, this, is, this person knows, I'm in the pit, I've called out to God, I've cried out, I've been honest, I'm remembering the attributes and the nature of God, I know the kind of God that I'm calling out to, I know what he, who he is and what he's like, and now I'm just waiting. My hand is up in the air, I know, I'm absolutely convinced God's going to come and grab it. Hey, there's a movie that I love. Pastors have to be careful with movie quotes and songs because some of them are not so good, right? Um... I'm pretty sure this is a pretty good movie to watch. It's scary. It's a scary movie, but there's not a curse word in it, and there's no sexual innuendos. This came out the year I was married, 2004. It's called The Village by M. Chalamet Knight. Okay? It's a great movie to, to explain the, the danger of legalism, too, by the way. That's another sermon for another day. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there is a powerful scene in this movie. It's so powerful. There's a monster in this village, okay? Everyone thinks there's this monster roaming around. And there's a blind girl. Her name's Ivy. That's her on the right. That's, that's Ron Howard's daughter, by the way. She plays a perfect, perfect uh, blind girl in this movie. She's blind, and the, the village alarm has sounded. This bell's ringing. The monster's in the village. It's dark. It's creepy. It's scary. And people panic. Everyone is running all over the place, and everyone forgets about her. And she's vulnerable, She's in an open doorway. Everyone's out there screaming and running around. She's blind. And she reaches out her hand because there is a young man in that village. He's strong. He's the hero in this story. He's played by Joaquin Phoenix. His name is Lucius. She's blind. She's waiting. And you can't see it here. Man, it's, it's such a powerful clip in the cinema. The monster is behind her. You can see this slightly blurred red image. She can hear him grunting. He's like, he's, sorry if there's any kids in here. The, the alarm sound of people running all over the place. She's blind. She's vulnerable. She's scared. She's about, 
you're so scared that you don't know what's going to happen. And there's a violin playing. The, the, the music score goes. And the movie goes in slow motion. And this monster comes up and he's going. <laughs> and she reaches out her hand and Lucius, walking phoenix, sweeps up at the very last minute and grabs her hand and takes her away into the safety of a cellar. I love that movie. I love that scene. And when I read the psalm, I can't help but think about that. Because it's almost as if that's what faith, faith is not blind. But in so many ways, we feel like ivy sometimes, don't we? We can't see God's deliverance. But listen, we know that God is a delivering God. And we know that he hears us. We know that he's not annoyed or angry at us. And we know he's coming. That's why this psalmist says, I'll wait for the Lord like the watchman waiting for the dawn. Have you ever waited for dawn? <laughs> I, was a, I was an overnight security guard in California for less than a year. I only made it about a year. It just, th- it told my body, I was, and I was in my 30s then, man. My body was so thrown off by the hours. I, my, my, my shift was from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I would walk around this huge campus. I felt like Barney Fife, man. I had mace and a flashlight. And I had to bust people for, it was a Christian college, and I had to bust people for violating curfew. I think I busted two people in one year, right? So I'm walking around this campus dazed and confused, and I'm waiting for dawn to come. When you're awake and you're waiting for dawn to come, it is so agonizingly slow. But listen, two things about the dawn. It always comes, and it never comes early. <laughs> ever. It never got dawn at 4 a.m., Ever. <laughs> If you're in Alaska, well, anyway, it's, we got some Alaskans in here. There's, yeah, there's the eternal, yeah. But listen, the psalmist is saying, I'm, I'm waiting for the Lord like the watchman for the dawn. I know it's going to come. He always does. We feel blind. Our hand is stretched out. We feel encompassed by a monster. We're going to sink and get grounded to powder any minute, but we know that God is coming. And, and guess what? He always does. He always shows up. So we w- wait around, but we wait around and hope. We're hoping in God's word. This man had been to Sunday school. He knew all the promises of the Old Testament. And he knew that God was going to come and rescue him. The more scriptural promises you had in your heart, the more comfort you're going to be able to find when you're in your pit. So let me close with this, guys. There is only one person, one truly innocent sufferer who was in the depths. And it wasn't his fault that he was there. You know whose fault it was? It was our fault that he was there. Jesus was the only blameless, spotless, sinless, untwisted, unperverted lamb. He cried out to God from the depths, but his his cry wasn't heard. Only one human being has ever experienced what it means to call out to God as Father and be turned away. Jesus was in the depths. He was sinking into the dark abyss of God's wrath. He confronted this monster He held his hand out. Nobody took it. This monster of death swallowed him whole. But guess what? Jesus burst through on the other side of death. He allowed it to swallow him whole, but he burst out and he emerged three days later so he could rescue us and be our Savior. Do you know what it cost him? It cost him everything. That's why we celebrate this. That's why we remember. Every first Sunday at Grace Life is a day of remembering. This doing remembrance of me. Oh, I I pray and I hope Grace Lifers and guest with us, and people watching from home, I pray you don't forget this. You're in the depths of a pit right now, and you don't know what to do. Will you call out to God? He is eager to forgive. He hears you. And listen, maybe the pit you're in right now is just unforgiven sin. Maybe you've never been a Christian. 
Maybe, maybe you've never been a Christian. That's a clumsy way of saying it. Maybe you've never experienced God's saving rescue, His grace, and today's your day. Maybe you had no idea why you stumbled into our service or, or stumbled into this message. God wants to rescue you. Have you called out to Him? You know, Romans, we took a break from Romans 10. You know what it says? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will have to prove himself first, right? No, that's not what it says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Let's do that together. Servers, will you come and prepare the Lord's table? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being the innocent sufferer who became a man. You came down from the heights of heaven, Lord. The incarnation is just stupefying us, Lord. It's defies all reason and logic. You, God in heaven above, stooped down to become a man and enter into our broken world, subjected yourself to weakness and temptation and fatigue and persecution and anger and hostility and violence and death. And you stood in our place as our substitute, Lord. You shed your blood on our behalf. You took the punishment. You took the blow. You stood between us and the monster, Lord. You took the blow. You absorbed all of God's wrath so that we could hear the words, it is finished. And Lord, it is. I pray that that truth would anchor our hearts today. Communion is a time of assurance. So many people wander into church, Lord, and they don't feel like they've been good enough this week. They feel that you're angry at them, that you're put off by them. You're embarrassed and ashamed to be called their father. They don't belong in your presence. Lord, will you please shatter that works-based assurance that so many people have faltered under. I pray that today this ordinance of communion would be a means of assurance. It would be a means of grace for us that our people would leave here today just reignited to know that with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared, so that you may be worshipped and loved, so that your saving message may be communicated with those who haven't heard it or who have misunderstood it, Lord. So be with us today as we celebrate communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See, I forgot to tell you to get your kids, so this would be a good time to do that.